all you out there in podcast land, welcome to Stream Police, the podcast where we tell you what's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix. I'm John Otney. Joining me is Michael Seveny. How you doing, Michael? Doing all right. I'm not so sure about that introduction I've been doing. What's good, what's bad, and what's ugly on Netflix? It feels kind of tacky, but I feel like we need a hook. I think you know, it we works. Gotta, we got to hook those people in. I don't know. It just it almost reminds me of like... You're on something like Yahoo Video, and they have one of those online minute-long <laughs> review shows. You know, like posted by some douche in front of a green screen. I'm Jason Such and Such. You movie minute hashtag movies are cool. I feel like it's always a Jason Such and Such. That sounds like a very like Yahoo movie hosting dude. Jason Such. <laughs> totally. Such. Yeah, I don't know. Good, bad, and ugly. It works because it shows that hey, we're talking about you know some shitty movies, but Leone. You know, could get some in that vibe. I don't know. <laughs> sure. Anyways, this is a podcast where we take randomly selected films from Netflix and review them. Last week, we reviewed the Ryan Philip Hay Labor of Love Straight A's, <laughs> which didn't quite make the grade. At the end of the episode, we were given the task of choosing between three classics. Those films were the 1974 Francis Ford Coppola thriller The Conversation, Robert Altman's 1970 Black Comedy Mash, and the 1956 sci-fi favorite Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And now a drum roll for the film we watched. And it's Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Certainly not the best of the three films, but... I mean, I'm a big fan of classic horror and sci-fi and Twilight Zone-esque stories. <laughs> and Invasion of the Body Snatchers has that all sealed up in one pod, you know, ready to burst. And I loved it as a kid. Uh, it'd been a while since I'd seen it. Like, I couldn't remember if it was one of those movies that I really liked or it was like, I'm staying up late and watching a movie, <laughs> you know, so I liked it more. Yeah. Um, it's a, it was a little hazy in my mind. Uh, so I thought it'd be kind of interesting to revisit that. But before we talk about that, uh, I'd like to talk about uh, something very close to Michael and I's hearts. <laughs> uh, something that has embiggened its quality with so much crumulence for so long. <laughs> and that's The Simpsons. Uh, because if you haven't heard, the newer network FXX, uh, which is a thing, has, uh, I believe, acquired syndication rights to The Simpsons, and in honor of that, we'll be showing a nonstop marathon on August 21st. And that, that got me thinking about how cool that is, but at the same time, how much bad television is going to be on <laughs> at one point, you know, during the latter half of that. You know, there's going to be a great middle section, middle couple of days, and then just crap for like three, <laughs> four days. And I was just thinking, I mean, when do you think The Simpsons started getting bad? And, and, and how and why did it get bad? Like, what happened? Well, I mean, I think everybody has their own cutoff point uh, for when they stopped watching or just when they, you know, when they personally thought the golden age ended. I think in general, the seasons one through nine are kind of seen maybe as the, the best years of the show. And I, I pretty much agree with that. I'm a little more generous. I'll float up to 11. Okay. I, you could definitely see some cracks and kind of deviations from what it was like. But uh, I feel like it's so easy to say 10 because it's 10 such an easy number <laughs> to just go with. But you went with 9 now, so yeah. you know what you're talking about. I don't know. But uh, I mean, definitely that like early 2000s is is when it kind of dropped off. Sure. And, and what do you think? I mean, was there one problem like one thing that started bringing it down or was it a handful of things that kind of sunk the ship you know i think again it's like people can say oh uh 
the change in showrunners like uh mike scully ian max Graham, like look at who's uh who's kind of running the operation and say oh well when everything was under his watch uh, the show started sucking but you know I, I think a big part of it is that it's a show that's been on for many years and you know there's only so many stories you can do there's no matter what uh even in like an animated world like uh the simpsons there's uh you're bound to kind of run out of gas at a certain point yeah so have you watched any from the past couple of years you know I, i think i stopped like regularly watching the simpsons in probably 2006 um like new new episodes so i've caught a few here and there i think um uh but i i I don't know if i've like actually sat down and watched a new episode of the simpsons like when it was actually airing yeah you know in years i mean i do that i I mean i do it off and on catch it when it it airs but i i still have seen every episode because i i catch them you know on demand or online on hulu later and I, i think uh one of the first things I noticed in watching one of these newer episodes is I feel like the emotional kind of character driven plots are just totally gone. Like it's all yeah. uh, it's a bunch of throwaway gags. And then maybe at the end, and then some, you know, lots of uh, celebrity cameos. And then at the end, maybe there's something that tries to be heartfelt, but totally fails. And it just made me think about, man, there was a time when that show could really make me feel things. Like I always think of, uh, there's that episode, the mother Simpson episode, the end of that yeah. one yeah yeah oh my god that it brings tears to my eyes like every time it's amazing uh but a more recent episode that i remember tried for the sentimental ending at the end and then just totally fell on its feet i have no idea what season is from 17 like who the hell knows was one where bart found out he had a doppelganger and they switched places and not not that funny and then i remember at the end bart just like sits in his bed and you know i was expecting a joke he just goes ah this is the life and then it just ended and it's like wow that's the best they, they can do they have like they, they gave it one minute mm-hmm. they didn't it didn't really have anything to do with anything else in the episode there's no emotional weight behind it the characters are just really one-dimensional i don't know how that happened it's like they've been boiled down to the most basic traits like i was reading something about like mike judge was talking about you know I don't know, everyone has their own opinion on King of the Hill, I guess, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it was consistent, and he said that's because the characters always remained 100% you know, to who they were at the beginning, and the Simpsons yeah. haven't, and I think one of the reasons is because because it's been on so long, it's just easier to kind of boil them down to their most basic elements and then kind of mend them to whatever is the plot point of that week. Another one, like, let's say season... 15 who the hell knows was <laughs> i remember bart got really good at drums are you familiar with the episode uh yeah i think, I think so. it has the white stripes, the white stripes on it yeah and and he was really good mm-hmm. and i hated that because i remembered an episode from season three mm-hmm. where bart tried to learn <laughs> guitar yeah and he was terrible and that was funny because right. it, it's funny just for me to think that bart isn't good at things like he's just terrible <laughs> at everything Right. And then it's just this this episode many years later. It's like, well, we need someone to play drums. That'd be an interesting plot because we need, you know, some kind of plot point this week. Let's make it Bart, you know, even though it doesn't really fit the character. Yeah. So, I mean, it's because they their, their ideas are so spread thin. They have to make the characters apply to all these different situations. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think that, that that's made it really terrible. But it also makes me wonder, like, who's who do you think's watching The Simpsons now? 
Uh, well, for for one thing, yeah, people that can tolerate like really inconsistent characterizations and like just won't care. Um, I mean, at, at this point, I think that the people that love the classic Simpsons uh, episodes, they might be watching, but they're it's probably out of curiosity or obligation. And uh, I don't know if the Simpsons brand is so strong that there's you know kids you know that are were our ages when we got into the simpsons that are watching it now i think it's just well it's coupled with family guy it's got you know it's always going to be there so it's just kind of a, enough of an institution that people will watch i don't know if it's you know setting the world ablaze like it you know used to it's it's been for several years now i think just um I, I don't know the ratings exactly, but I, I, I can't imagine that it's as successful as it was even like five years ago. You know, a while back you mentioned how people these days are probably coupling it with, with Family Guy. Have you heard about that Simpsons Family Guy crossover? I, yeah, and I saw the uh, the teaser that yeah. they played at Comic-Con. Um, and what'd you think of that? I, I didn't like it, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know if that's surprising or not. I uh, Yeah, it... it I was not into it. I kind of thought I get the gags that they were going for. There was kind of like a meta, like, Oh, you know, we, we ripped you off, but we're kind of winking at it, but we're also saying, yeah, we didn't. And like, that's, that's a joke that's been made many times before. The Simpsons have actually kind of alluded at that uh, a few times, but I, it then just goes into like a, like a chicken fight, like uh, with Peter and Homer kind of fighting throughout the city and it just feels like a family guy joke that's just kind of been grafted onto the Simpsons and just kind of inelegantly like fused together. And, and I did kind of like uh, Peter trying to walk Homer through a cutaway gag. I thought that was kind of clever, but, uh, but I mean, there's from what I've seen, like there's clips of like, Oh, Stewie's really into Bart. And so he goes skateboarding and he tries to make a Mo prank call. And the joke is like, Oh, uh, Bart's kind of this 90s cool whereas Stewie's what the disaffected youth are into today I don't know but but even then like I, Bart hasn't made a prank call or gotten on a skateboard in exactly. a fucking decade like <laughs> I was getting ready even? for him to say I carumba yeah no I was is he gonna do the Bart man is Stewie gonna do the Bart man <laughs> like where is that coming from I, I don't know that's what I've been talking about where I feel like that was the perfect example of the Simpsons being boiled down to their most basic you know points you know bart says i crumb by his skateboard like he's he in the middle uh seasons he had so much more depth than that and i, I feel like it's all been wiped clean bart gets and an f and yeah <laughs> there's there's so there's so many gimmicky episodes these days i almost feel like i hear more about oh, what's the new couch gag gonna be than what the new episode is gonna be you know yeah. like oh guillermo del toro's doing the couch gag this week and they're always well animated but I should be tuning in for more reasons than to watch two minutes of animation at the beginning. Yeah, and I think that's how they—that's basically how they hook people in these days. Is like if somebody who hasn't watched The Simpsons in like seven years will say, "Ah, what, there's going to be Legos. All right, I'll I'll watch it." <laughs> you know. Right, the Lego episode. I saw that one. It was really bad. Oh, was it? I don't even feel like they they made a lot of jokes with the fact they're Legos. Like I feel like <laughs> really. I mean, they did, but I feel like they weren't clever. I don't know. Uh. They're just very basic. Like, the first ones you would have come up with. Yeah, that that sounds about right. I, I think they kind of... That's basically what it is at this point. They'll have something that's seemingly clever, or at least, you know, interesting. But they... It's just still the same old, you know, 
Simpsons episode. And okay, let's just for the sake of not being completely negative on a show that we both love. Uh, in the last, I don't know, since season fifteen, let's say, uh, has there been uh, some episode? There have been you know good episodes since then. At least there's always a couple of good ones. I think uh, per season. Uh, are there any that come to mind that you you know? I, I mean, you watch it to this day. So are there any episodes recently or semi recently that you liked from the later years? Yeah. I remember one that I thought was kind of funny. I, I couldn't tell you when it was from was one where Homer becomes a superhero called the pie man. Yeah. 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 Okay. That was an episode. I remember had some really good jokes. Uh, I think it, it began with Homer entering. Uh, There's some sort of competition where if you bottled it, this uh, kind of crusty brand bacon, you could go to, uh, I don't know, some carnival or something. And I just remember there's a great joke where he went into the Quickie Mart and he's just unwrapping package after package of, of bacon. And Apu says, you know, Mr. Simpson, if you want to kill yourself, I do sell handguns. And there's like in a bin. And I was like, that's good. That reminds me of the old Simpsons. And yeah, that episode, funny. I think, um, keeps keep, is consistent the whole way through. Oh, that was, let's see, that's 2004. So 15th season. Okay. But after that, I mean, there's probably been bits and pieces, but uh, less frequent. Yeah. Why was there one that that comes to your mind? I mean, I know you you dropped off in what 2006, but uh, yeah. Well, I mean, here and there, I I, I do remember a um, uh, an episode that was pretty recent where it's they're all for some reason. I, this is my horrible recollection of it. They're all in a cave for some reason, and they're all kind of recounting uh how they got there or there's something in i don't know like it shows like snake uh like his origin in springfield and like robbing mo for the first time and shows like the rich texan and like it's like this weird uh almost like the 22 short uh stories about springfield episode but like a shorter version of that and i thought that was funny and uh there was one where they went to sundance that had jim jarmusch in it that was uh i don't know kind of nerdy in the way that like an old simpsons episode could kind of you know be I, I don't know there, there have been episodes that i thought were clever and i, I think the I, I follow um for some reason a lot of the writers on twitter and i think a, a, the writers are still funny but it's just i i think that uh what we all fell in love with that with um with the show when we were watching it when we were younger uh, was the distinct voices of those writers on those staffs. And, you know, now the Simpsons writing staff has, as far as I know, nobody on it that was working on it in the 90s, or, or at least very few people, not counting, like, head writers and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is talent behind the show still, but it's just not, you know... Yeah. You so. know, that, that got me thinking. Uh, can you think of one... <laughs> We were just talking about you know episodes we liked from these more recent years. Can you think of one episode in particular that really made you hate that The Simpsons is still on? You know, or a couple, or just any moments where you're like, "Wow, yeah, this shouldn't I, be going." There was one where Bart was like a, a wrestling heel or something. Like he uh, he found out that Abe, uh, yeah, Grandpa Simpson had become when he was younger he was like a, a villain in a wrestling thing and then bart wanted to do the same thing something like that i thought that was weak i, I thought Katy perry being on the show when they, and they were all puppets at one point uh, yeah that, that was uh that was pretty bad 
for me, I always I always rely on one in particular. There's probably worse ones, but one that always really bugged me was Springfield Up. It's a parody of the Up movies. Oh my god, really? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's got that uh, that British documentarian character that Eric Idle voices, and he's he basically says, "Oh, I've been following everyone in this town for you know since they were little kids," and then they, which totally ruins any continuity if there was any. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a freaking mess. Like they have the origin of the crazy cat lady. Like I don't care. <laughs> and I just remember, I I didn't laugh once, and there's one joke in particular. I'm like, wow, that just sums up the laziness. I remember he was uh, the Eric Idle character was filming uh, Homer and he was a kid and he's pointing the camera right at him and he's like Homer I just want you to look at the camera and he goes you you got it and he keeps looking away looking away and he goes Homer do you even know what a camera is and he goes no and I'm just like oh my god what, what part of that's funny who doesn't know what a camera is like what's the joke there like yeah I think Homer's stupid like I I love Homer is stupid jokes Homer is stupid jokes from the earlier Simpsons are my favorite blank is stupid jokes in anything <laughs> like they're the best but I, I think it's in the later years they just stretched it to the point of ridiculousness and just to fit whatever gag they were doing and it's rarely funny or clever it's just like ah he doesn't know any cameras i don't know you know it just lacks smrt <laughs> exactly which by the way did you know that that was not written that when he was reading that line <laughs> he actually said that and so he went smrt I, I mean smart and then like they just kept that's amazing uh that i love that that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah. uh so that brings me to another question do you think the Simpsons is ruined for future generations. Do you think future generations are going to look at it and just be like, wow, look at all that crap. No, thanks. I mean, do you think the Simpsons is hurting its legacy? I mean, what's it going to be like for people that are growing up in the two thousands? I wonder. Yeah. I don't know if it's hurting its legacy any more than like, uh, Looney Tunes <laughs> was diluted by space jam, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I mean, and that's, that stretches back even further. Um, I, I think, People that are being exposed to The Simpsons now, uh, who are I don't know ten <laughs> or you know a young age, mm-hmm. um, are coming into it uh, at a time when there isn't when there aren't classic great Simpsons episodes really airing on TV, but they're also not coming into it in a time when The Simpsons is something that's on anybody's mind or is in the zeitgeist at all really. So I don't think they're being exposed to a lot of shitty Simpsons. And I think that if they want to get into The Simpsons or discover The Simpsons, uh, they'll probably be able to see that, oh, this is a show that's been on for a really long time and see you know, how long it's been running and pick up on the fact that its earlier seasons were uh, really well regarded and then later seasons aren't. So like I feel like the, um, there's no risk of people being like, oh, Simpsons, that's a terrible show. Why did anybody ever like that? But I do think it's sad, <laughs> though, that you know I can't like just flip on The Simpsons some night and see a great episode and know that like when I was eight and I <laughs> I could do that and you know, I don't know. You know who I really feel bad for are the people that are going to discover that there are good episodes and then. Well, it's got to get good again, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, 400 episodes later, it's uh, like, well, I mean, they kept it on so long, it's got to get good again, right? 
<laughs> right? Yeah, no, that's that's the that's the sad, sad realization. <laughs> that's like the future me. Like a like if there's another person just like me born in the future, because I would check it out. I know I would. Yeah, no. So that was poor future John. Yeah, poor future John. <laughs> poor. Uh, and just so we can end this conversation on a high note, uh, this this may be a hard question, but off the top of your head. What are some of your favorite episodes? Uh, Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever narrowed it down to a couple? You know, I once made a... I was able to get it down to a top 10. I don't know if I stand by that top 10. Yeah. But I, I do think that there are some episodes that are always going to be uh, pretty high up there for me. I think Lemon of Troy is really great. Oh, just, uh, I just love so that episode. Good. Classic, uh, written by the great Brent Forrester, who's a great comedy writer. Um Bart the Lover, where uh, he, oh, yeah, yeah, I thought that was a, that, which is kind of what you're talking about. I think with the more emotionally, uh, you know, I, I think that's uh, really shows what the Simpsons can do when they want to, which I don't know if they can get there anymore. Uh, Cape Fear, uh, if you if you're talking about sideshow Bob, Camp Krusty, you know, uh, Krusty gets canceled. Uh, Last Temptation of Homer, uh, Marge Be Not Proud, Two Bad Neighbors. The if you want H. W. Bush on the, you know, there, there's so many great episodes. I, you know, I could just spout, keep start spouting off quotes and never stop, but I'm going to try to resist. <laughs> uh, for me, I remember one that was my standby for a long time. I don't know if I still stand by it now, but it is a great episode. Is um, Homer loves Flanders? Yeah, all right. There's some fantastic bits. One of my favorite <laughs> bits is. When you know Homer like yells up to the ceiling, he goes like, "Why must you mock me, Lord?" And Marge goes, "Homer, that's not God. That's just a waffle that barred the roof there." <laughs> I know I shouldn't eat thee, mm, sacrilegious. <laughs> but uh, I, for a long time, I put that at the top, and it's definitely one of my favorites. Also, Bart gets an elephant. Yeah, and you know one that I watched over this summer, and I just forgot. Some some of, the, some of those Simpsons episodes are just nonstop jokes. Like it just nonstop is the summer of four foot two where they they go to the beach house and Lisa tries to make friends with yes. the cool kids and it's one of my favorite Millhouse episodes because he's kind of off to the side but oh, he just seems so pathetic. Yeah yeah yeah. I mean that that's a uh, that's the one where um, when she has the yearbook at the end and it's signed by everybody and it's, Millhouse has a see you in the car Millhouse. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah no i love that that's a great lisa episode uh you know I, I get, they could back in those days do great episodes for each character like if if you just said a character's name in in the main cast then you could think of like 10 episodes that are spotlighted on them and are just amazing and sh- are you know are revealing about the character and are really funny and that's like a great lisa one you know totally yeah yeah, we should we should talk about Simpsons again on a future episode because, you know, talking about good Simpsons just puts me in the best mood because it's like my favorite thing there is. Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, yeah, you know, it's a shame there's not a lot of good Simpsons podcasts out there. You know, I was checking a while back on my phone for some Simpsons podcasts, and the only ones I could find were hosted by like the weirdest like weirdos <laughs> hiding in basements that you could find. Like, welcome to the Simpsons podcast. <laughs> like, people like the worst voices. And, Talking about recent ones, and like, oh, that was a really good one. I thought it was really good. Uh, I did that one. Like, it was just terrible. Like, uh, 
No insight. Just the weird freak monsters. <laughs> that sounds amazing. People just uncritically watching The Simpsons <laughs> in the podcast. Uh, I can't diss anybody's uh, voices on podcasts, though. I, I'm, I'm are you kidding? Throwing no. stones here. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I, I would be down for a, a Simpsons podcast if our competition is <laughs> that. The bar is not high. Yeah. All right. Well, that was fun, but I think we got to move on. Uh, so it's time to find out if they already walk among us with our review of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. They come from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet, bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super scope screen. It's whatever intelligence or instinct it is that can govern the forming of human flesh and blood out of thin airs. So, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, 1956. Uh, let's start with the plot. So, the whole movie begins in a hospital where a hysterical man named Dr. Miles Bennell, played by Kevin McCarthy, is trying to warn those around him of an invasion. An invasion where people are being replaced by emotionless duplicates, not of this world. The doctor explains all this through a flashback uh, that takes us to the doctor, pre-hysterical, in the town of Santa Mira, California, where he's back from a trip and his uh, patients start coming up to him and complaining that their loved ones are, are imposters or not who they were before. And then not after, not long after that, uh, Benel himself discovers the secret that there are pod people, spoiler, <laughs> duplicating humans in an effort to take over our planet. Uh, Michael, did you enjoy Invasion of the Body Snatchers or do you wish you could have been replaced by a pod person while watching it? I don't think those are mutually exclusive. Uh, <laughs> I, I did enjoy it. Um, this is actually uh, my first time seeing the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I don't know if I said that on the last episode or not. Um, but yeah, I, I did like it. Um, I don't know if you if we want to go into a full-on review yet. but uh, Overall, though, yeah, I did enjoy it. Okay, uh, I guess we can do a little background before we get into it a little more. Yeah. Uh, it was Don Siegel, who yeah. I think was primarily known as an action guy. I mean, he went on to do Dirty Harry and the some shootest. other Clint Eastwood things. Oh, The Shootist, that's a good one. With John Wayne, really manly guys. Make it, I wish John Wayne was Invasion of the Body Snatchers. What are all these pods doing around here? I can't believe we just did that. We just went for the most, like... <laughs> hacky like 80s stand-up like hey uh hey, what if uh, john wayne was an invasion of the body snatchers i think it would go a little something like this <laughs> uh it's interesting though i mean kevin mccarthy's kind of an interesting choice because he this is pretty much the only thing he's ever really was ever really that big for and i thought he was pretty great yeah honestly like he really handles the crazy portion of the film really well and i th- i think he's a, a washington Native to Seattle, is, yeah. Which uh, is bonus points. Yeah, yeah. I, I found that out after the movie because I thought, wow, he was really good. And then I just read about him for a while. And yeah, he's from Seattle. That's a that's something to be proud of there. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason that they cast someone like him is they're working with a pretty low budget on this movie. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's why there's not a lot of effects. And I think I'll get into that a little bit more. But back to the background. So this was based on a three-part serial story written by Jack Finney that appeared in Collier's Magazine, one of Mr. Burns' favorite publications, <laughs> in the mid-50s. And then it was expanded to a novel, and they turned it into this kind of low-budget, um, yeah, just like paranoid, uh, paranoid thriller, I'll say it like that. Sure, sure. 
Uh, do you think it works that there's really not a lot of effects or not a lot to look at? You know, I think the the uh, the effects of uh, the pods that are actually, uh, you know, it shows them in the greenhouse and that, you know, iconic scene where the bodies are in there. That's probably the only major effect in the movie, but I think it really works. And I think that, um, you know, the overall lack of effects, it maybe. uh I think perhaps for a sci-fi film, uh, it, it feels maybe more like a thriller, like you were saying, a, a paranoid thriller, than a, you know science fiction per se, which uh, is which is interesting, and I, and I think it it works for me. But um, yeah, I can I can see why later versions and later ripoffs kind of focus more on the you know <laughs> scary uh, kind of effects. Yeah, I portion of it yeah i mean i feel like this is all about building the suspense which i feel like definitely works in a couple spots and it almost has a kind of the film also has kind of noir feel to it with the narration how did you feel about the narration and the fact that this film is kind of told in a flashback and then bookended by Mm -hmm. by kevin mccarthy's character well you know uh before sitting down to watch it i already knew that um uh that had a that framing device had kind of been imposed on the movie uh, against Don Siegel's wishes and against kind of every like create everybody who was creatively involved in the movies, uh, which is uh, yeah because um, they didn't want to have the ending be a total downer, and so they want so throughout the whole movie the audience says okay he lives and there you know um, so yeah for me it's. Uh, much like Blade Runner, I would, I would love to see a movie where that's excised, um, uh, you know, a, a different version. Because um, I, I really don't think that it works. Um, and I don't know if we want to get into the ending now, but even from... I, 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 yeah. We're going to get into it eventually. We might as well get into it All now. right, sure. Then, yeah, uh, I think that um, if it had ended uh, with him, you know, running onto the street yelling at cars going up into the truck seeing that the back of it is full of pods and him being just kevin mccarthy being just wonderfully manic and screaming directly into the camera at the viewer you know they're here already you're next if it had ended there i think that would be one of cinema's iconic endings i thought that was just absolutely incredibly done i got like just a charge you know just watching it and again great acting by kevin mccarthy but then it ends, you know, on on them kind of very clinically uh, saying, "Oh, call at the FBI. He's right." And and it's, but it's also it's also very weird just from a dramatic standpoint uh, that you know they bring that guy in uh, on the stretcher and they're like, uh, "Oh yeah, he was uh, crushed by something that looks like a giant peapod." And then he's like, wait, "He's like, wait," and he's like. Santa Mira, and then dramatic music plays. But why would dramatic music play if it's just the audience already knows that all this is true? So that dramatic music would be playing for that character who we haven't spent time with. Like, it's it's odd. But um, but again, I, I I think that it's a studio film, and the studio did not want that ending. So you know, it's just one of those compromises, I guess. But it, it's a, it's just too bad. Yeah, I I kind of hated that everything got wrapped up so quickly. Because what's funny is in my memory. The film ended with him going, you know, like, they're, they're here, they're here. Yeah. And it's such a great scene that even though I probably saw this, the version, you know, 
I don't know if there's multiple versions floating around, but I'm pretty sure I've only seen the same version. Yeah. Like I've only every time I've seen it, and that scene was so good that that's how I thought it ended because it was so good. Yeah. And then and then it flashes again, and I'm like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> I mean, I guess I I expected it had to come again since it started with a flashback and. Everything happens so quickly that they start believing him, and it turns around, and and it's like he's kind of down, but mm. it's like, well, it's gonna be okay, and it's like, no, I want the downbeat ending. Like that's way scarier. That's one of the movie's strong suits. I mean, absolutely. No. Has a studio ever like recut a movie and then it made it like way better? Like, I can't think off the top of my head of of studio notes ever. I mean, to be fair, maybe there's a case out there where it's like, you know. For all we know, Spielberg had a really shitty ending for Jaws that the studio changed, and he just never told anybody. You know, I mean, that's possible. But Jaws like, like swims away and like gets on land and starts like running off, <laughs> winks at the camera, him. and he's like, "I'll be back." Yeah, no, I'm sure that that's that's probably happening. Some, but yeah, in general, I just don't think the uh, studio mandate uh, mandated endings are a good thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's too bad because that's probably the the weakest part of this movie. Um, this might be a good chance to, uh, maybe throw out any other minor complaints or cons that you had with this movie. I mean, overall, I think it's, it's pretty good, but there's definitely a couple things that I wish were a little different. Like, I think there is some parts in the movie that don't hold up or kind of laggy or cheesy or just not, not enough happening. Like, like I know one of my favorite scenes in the film Mm -hmm. is when Kevin McCarthy and his, uh, this character who's like his former girlfriend played by Dana Winter, they go to a restaurant and it's completely empty, no band, no people, you know, it's just the owner. And they ask the owner, where's the bartender? And he goes, you're looking at him. And I thought that was just such an intriguing example of how society still tries to keep running and maintaining, even when something is obviously amiss. Yeah. I wish there was more of that. I didn't feel like the town seemed that like, askew like that it, it seemed like it was still like kind of relatively normal yeah no you're absolutely right and i i thought the same way and so just doing some uh research about the movie it turns out that that's another uh example of you know kind of uh cuts by the studio or i guess in this case not uh you know god <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> yeah yeah like the original studio but i think what actually mm-hmm. happened were uh test audiences they saw the original cut the movie uh showed the human characters in the town a lot more and it had a lot of humor in fact the imdb trivia actually describes it as uh the film's original humor and humanity uh was cut because the audience were uh weren't following the movie and they were like laughing at the wrong moments and so the studio uh made a bunch of cuts to scenes of the town and of people that aren't like the core main characters. And not, not only that, but um, apparently the, it says the studio insisted on edits because it wasn't policy to mix humor with horror. So they said, Oh, no comedy and no uh, characters interacting, uh, talking about anything but the plot. Like, 
which is just a shame because it just seems like you had a shitty test audience <laughs> you know you yeah. cut the movie to the bone for that it's yeah so are you telling me allied artists picture corporation <laughs> is run by pod <laughs> that really right. sounds like a company run by pod uh, isn't that ironic <laughs> the, given what the movie is about <laughs> like it's funny i was just, i was getting i was getting ready for that for that joke like does that mean such and such studio is run by pod people and then i look it up and like what the hell is allied artists picture corporation like, <laughs> that clearly a studio that may, you know must have fallen out of business or changed into something else so uh, that's kind of unusual i don't know if this movie was a hit i don't know uh, if that's things that like happened back then or that people kept track of i mean it's it's certainly it's certainly kept in the public consciousness yeah Con- yeah. <laughs> yeah uh it's that's a tough that's word a tricky one. um yeah it apparently when it was first released it you know it wasn't like a a bomb or anything but people didn't uh really make much of it and certainly not uh critically it was only in uh subsequent years that its reputation started to be built a little bit more and i think uh, a big part of that reevaluation is because people look uh you know found it uh thematically resonant and um as more of a of a commentary or an allegory on uh, it's basically um, either McCarthyism or uh, again or anti-McCarthyism or uh, just general uh, kind of social conformity or communism. <laughs> There's you know basically a lot of readings uh, about what the film uh, is about subtextually. And, and that kind of yeah. helped it uh, gain more of a reputation with critics and audiences as the years went by, which made it, uh, which I wanted to ask you, um, what do you make of that? Like what watching this movie uh, now, uh, what did you take away in that uh, in that light? Did you uh, find that there was uh, that the movie was conveying uh, the, a message to you? Um, you know, in its subtext, and what was that message? I mean, it seems like it was kind of like, who could you trust, or what did it take to be an American in this time of uneasiness where the country feels unsure about everything? <laughs> I feel like yeah. they've remade this movie so many times, and they always find a different way to kind of spin that angle and, and always make it about something kind of different. So I, I don't know. It, it's it's kind of complex. This first one is kind of complex for me like, to dive into, but sure. I definitely admire what i think they're doing <laughs> well well because that you know that's what i wanted to talk about was um j- not having seen this uh version of it the you know original um i just kind of vaguely knew that oh this was uh you know in, in the mccarthy era so it's it, it was a commentary on that and i had that vague notion in my head but the, like before i pressed play i was uh i hadn't i was wondering um Oh, so is it the message like anti, or is it pro, or like you know, what are the politics of Don Siegel and the and the yeah, greatest, I don't know because uh, in I, some aspects I feel like it's like pro, but in the, I don't know, like well, it's just yeah. it kind of I feel like it portrays kind of both sides a little bit. Well, but here's the thing though is that like I, I think that what when I you know uh, as the movie finished I was still kind of confused because I, I wasn't. Uh, positive and then i read that oh over the people that made the movie there's uh there some of them say oh we didn't intend any message some of them said oh of course we intended a message but the thing is people have read it as both of those things and then the remakes 
people have different interpretations like the 78 one oh is that about watergate or is that just about you know gen- the hippie you know all these things and i think what it is is that um it's kind of like a rorschach test for the viewer because you know no matter what you know political or ideological uh you know stance you have on any issue it's uh, you're always going to view the opposing people as like you know these mindless like zombies that are you know like that are following uh this wrong ideology or this wrong belief and so you know these the reason why this movie and those movies um movies like it they kind of get that tag i think is because uh you know you you can see no matter who you are you can see it as oh this is a movie about how i'm right and every the sheeple <laughs> like the masses the, you know because that's really all it is is somebody who's right and a bunch of people who are wrong and won't listen to him until they get sucked in by the same so like if you were glenn beck you could look at that and think like oh yeah the, <laughs> you know, of course this movie is about i'm you know he sees himself as that but also if you were uh noam chomsky you'd be like oh well actually i think that you know that, that anybody can kind of graft their own personal ideological beliefs onto that basic skeleton which i think i don't i I could be totally wrong but i think that that is kind of what i uh i don't know yeah i mean i I was so hesitant to answer your original question because of like do i like a movie that's like pro-communist but then i'm like no but it's made by hollywood people and those people are always like it was it was i I like the movie but it's just so like I, i couldn't scratch this like i couldn't get into it like it's it's so dense or just there's, there's so many ways to look at it or interpret it and it, it's it's just amazing to think that a film like that came out in that time when movies like invaders from mars are coming out you know this movie that is so deep with politics politics and just all that kind of stuff uh, it, it boggles the mind but i you know i'm so fascinated by it and they should they should call it sheeple Sheeple is a good title. <laughs> I think they should just call it uh, "Invasion of the Sheeple." Invasion <laughs> of the... Know, yeah, then and... then people are going to be, be you know it, people are stupid. They're going to expect the most literal version of uh, that. Like we're the sheep people. <laughs> <laughs> I think Sheep People is another movie that came out in '56 that didn't <laughs> last Not over the years. Quite on the, the same level. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the uh, some of the other versions. Have you seen any of the other versions? I saw the um, 78, um, but I saw that when I was pretty young. So I haven't seen that one in a long time, and, but it's actually playing at a theater near my house like this weekend. <laughs> so I'm going to go check that out again and uh, refresh my memory. I never saw the uh, Abel Ferreira, and I did see the Nicole Kidman one. but And I saw that one only a few years ago, but it's just so unmemorable that I, that oh, yeah. I don't yeah I probably remember it less than the 78 no I think the best part of the 2000s one was the trailer for Michael Clayton that played before the film <laughs> uh, the 78 version uh, you know if you're planning on checking it again uh, spoiler alert it's awesome I uh, I checked it out I feel like a year ago I do actually own it on DVD uh, oh, and cool. that one was a little more fresh in my mind so I, when, when I sat down to watch this I feel like I could really compare and I think the 70s one is is a little better. I think it's a little scarier. It's got some more memorable scenes. Um, it's got a great cast, and the effects are, are fantastic. And it's that one's. I feel like a little easier for my, me to wrap my mind around. I mean, there probably is different ways to look at that one. You know, like you were saying, um, but I, I've always appreciated that one. Kind of 
and their satire of how everyone in the late 70s it was about like the me generation you know it's all about me they, like like yeah. Leonard Nimoy is this guru and he, he brings all these people to, like this home and talking about you know treat yourself you know this is all about you and and I thought sure. that was kind of a funny funny angle for the film and yeah uh, I'm a big fan of that I haven't I haven't seen the is it the is it 90s one is that when it came out early 90s yeah uh, that one was 93 uh, the one that's just called body snatchers yes I'm not not that familiar with that one. I'm going to assume it's horrible, though. I don't know why. I'm just going to assume it's horrible. Uh, I mean, I haven't seen it, and I don't know uh, what people have said about it. Uh, but I, I'm interested in seeing it just because it's uh, able I'm, for. Uh, I'm interested to see it just because what I like about this series is it. It seems like it, it is a very remakeable movie because you can make remake it every twenty or so years, and it can be about a totally different thing. You know, it can reflect whatever fears or insecurities are going on with society at that point in time. Yeah, exactly. Cause I, I you know, I, I do, I think that is what it is. It's just that whatever it, it's, it, whatever's in the viewer's mind, they're going to graft it onto that. You know, absolutely. I, yeah. Um, I, and not only has it been remade a few times, but I think there's just this general idea has, um, has, been kind of uh popular in b movies and genre movies of different kinds um in the wake of it and i think uh probably uh one of the more popular maybe not popular but one that people tend to like uh i don't know if you've seen the faculty by robert rodriguez i have with john stewart yeah with john stewart (laughs) yeah um, I think, you know, that's an example of, you know, taking, taking that and putting it in a high school, like a little twist on it, you know, um, and, and there's tons of others. I, I seem to recall Looney Tunes did a parody that I enjoyed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't remember what it was about or what it was called. I'm sure it was like carrot snatchers or, you know, <laughs> something, but uh, quirky. I'm laughing. But I, I'm I, remember, <laughs> I remember that being pretty funny. So yeah, there's just, there's a lot of things to draw from here. It's, it's such a rich film, uh, and I think I think for the most part it still holds up. It's it definitely has that kind of hokey, old fashioned, small time feel. I mean, I like a lot of movies do back then. That's just what movies were like back then. But overall, I think it's still a great story, and there's some pretty great moments and some good acting. So I guess this comes down to: Would you recommend this movie? I would uh, definitely recommend it. I think uh, you know Don Siegel. He's just he has this great sense of composition. There are some shots in this movie that uh, are are just so like muscular, just just uh, the kind of shots that they don't really make anymore. But that uh, dudes named Don in 1956 kind of uh, made, and uh, I, I do think it's a, a great example of you know its genre and it's obviously culturally significant. I do think it is. Um, I hesitate to call it overrated because I, I do think it's an incredibly important movie and it is good, but I think that um, people tend to forget that there it is kind of uh, lean on the human element and you know as we found out that was because of the shitty studio and and yeah the framing device is kind of rough but but overall though I think it's a good movie and well worth checking out. I would recommend it as well. I liked what you're saying about Don Siegel. You know I bet I bet that uh that scene where. 
I can't remember which character it was, picks up a pitchfork and starts stabbing something in the face. <laughs> that had to have been his idea. <laughs> yeah. I could totally it's imagine cool. that and like yeah. Dirty Harry. Yeah. Okay. Just pitchforking yeah. someone to the face. Yeah, speaking of like uh like I don't know, manly director dudes, uh you know Sam Peckinpah's in this movie? Is in this movie? Yeah, because uh, he was a really he was a dialogue coach uh, for Don Siegel, and he's the meter reader at the uh, yeah you know <laughs> yeah so I, I I don't know that was a bit of trivia <laughs> yeah oh yeah I've, God I'd love to see that <laughs> yeah. Well, there you have it, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We like it. Check it out. Check out uh, some of the remakes if you're adventurous. And it is in this portion of the show that we normally like to recommend a few things, uh, usually stuff that we found on uh, streaming or Netflix or or wherever. Um, Michael, do you have anything this week that you'd like to recommend? Uh, Sure. Um, for one thing, uh, we talked about it a little bit on the last episode, but I can say that the, or I, I just mentioned it, I think, but uh, the new Spoon album, if you like Spoon, then, you know, you know that they're consistently awesome, and uh, this record's no exception. Uh, I think on the first listen, I just kind of knew that I liked it, but I've given it a couple more spins, and I, I really dig uh, the way that their sound has gotten a little bit... Um, more spacey or i don't know how to i'm not pitchfork man reverby maybe yeah reverby there you go <laughs> i mean it, it just seems like uh it, it just seems like it's less um physical music i guess like it's it's less about like knocking you out with like uh, you know this really kind of harsh rhythm or or something like that it it, it seems like uh melodically they're kind of you know exploring a little bit more but but still it's just Britt Daniels is such a strong songwriter that he makes it work and uh and um besides that I don't actually own this so I can't recommend it but there's that new Werner Herzog uh blu-ray box set that came out and it has a bunch of Herzog movies not Jack Reacher unfortunately uh it doesn't count but uh it's a bunch of Herzog movies on blu-ray so it's gotta be something, you know. You gotta, you gotta love Herzog, right? Am I right? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, it's funny. Just a couple days ago, for no particular reason, I was watching that scene. Oh, was it from Stroshek with the dancing chicken? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, for some reason, I kept putting it to different songs, like you know, <laughs> like Little John. I'm like, how come this isn't a thing? This is so good. If do you know who would love that is Herzog. I, I feel like he would look at that and be like, uh, Little John explains what we all know about the chicken, and that is that he is saying yeah. Uh, God, hurts. I, you know, I just the stories that his life. I, it's just the the like he saved Joaquin Phoenix from a car accident, you know. Yeah. But the thing about that story is that you know people always mention that he saved Joaquin Phoenix, but what they don't say is that he just let River die. You know what I mean? I'm just joking. I'm I'm I've been drinking and I thought that's all right. So good. <laughs> what, what are your recommendations? Uh, well, in theaters, I did check out Boyhood. Uh, if you're familiar with Boyhood, you already know it's good, and you already know that you're supposed to go see it. So I'm not gonna add on any more to that. Uh, I enjoyed it. Check it out. Uh, I uh, streaming wise, 
uh, you know, since we were talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers, uh, I was curious if there's any other good sci-fi movies on there on Netflix. So uh, I took a look through their classics section, and I noticed they did Day the Earth Stood Still. Yeah. And I haven't watched it recently. I mean, I haven't watched it this you know in the past week, but I did. I probably watched it in the past year or so. And that is a great film. If you're not familiar with that one, it's a early '50s Robert Wise. Uh, film about a humanoid being named Klaatu along with his companion who's a robot, Gort. They travel to Earth on a mission of goodwill uh, which right off the bat is pretty original for its time. You know, Aliens coming down to warn us not to just start zapping us with uh, laser guns or something. Sure. Yeah. You know, and, and it's a great film. It's insightful. It's character driven. Uh, it's about people learning to work together. It's not, it's not what you normally get in sci-fi films about aliens. You normally yeah. you get the usual kind of we come to destroy your planet kind of <laughs> bullshit. Uh, and it's yeah. it's got a lot of interesting kind of like parallels to like Jesus. <laughs> parallels? It's basically, it's, it's yeah. you, you know, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's basically Jesus. It's Space Jesus. <laughs> Space Jesus is the name of my screenplay, so I'm actually kind of pissed off that somebody got to it before me, but... Um, I mean, so if you, yeah. you know, so if you like spaceships and you like Jesus, then uh, check out Day There Sit Still. Okay, uh, I, I want to, just because I, since we're talking about streaming movie, uh, sci-fi movies that are on Netflix instant, and just throw out a recommendation that's actually related to this movie, uh, The Host by Bong Joon-ho, sci-fi on Netflix. If, yeah, if you're into really good Korean filmmaking and sci-fi, then check that out. Another film that deals fantastically with paranoia. Yeah. You know, because that's a movie where there's a bunch of people, there's a monster attack, and then they think there's a virus and they're all going to get it. And people start acting ridiculous. Exactly. And great, great social commentary. Um, I'm a big fan of that film, and I would also recommend that one. All right, moving on. This is normally where we use the Netflix randomizer to select next week's episode, but we're going to mix it up a little bit this uh, this week. Me and Michael were talking about, I don't know how it came up, but we were talking <laughs> about Power Rangers uh, after we finished recording last week. And we, uh, that's kind of interesting because, well, it's interesting for several reasons. One, Power Rangers, if you haven't heard, uh, the rights have been acquired by Lionsgate, and there's been talk of a new Power Rangers movie. I don't really know what that means. Like, is that, like, is it, like, serious? Like, PG-13? Like, is it dark? Like, it's a gritty reboot. It's a gritty reboot? Like, it's Lionsgate. So... I, I, I don't I don't know what that could be. But anyways, until there's more development on that, uh, we noticed that Power Rangers was on Netflix and that a lot of the other shows that were in the vein of Power Rangers that kind of came in the wake of Power Rangers are also on Netflix, like uh, VR Troopers and, and Beetleborgs. Big bad Beetleborgs. Big bad Beetleborgs. And so we thought it'd, it'd be interesting to kind of do uh, a compare and contrast in a new segment that we're calling The Lineup. So I hope that you're looking forward to that. I know we're looking forward to that. Uh, you can check us out on mildlyplease.com or you can go to iTunes and check out Mildly Please and find this podcast. Uh, we're always talking about building up our web presence. Uh, we are yet to do that, but, you know, there's talk. So that's the important thing is that the conversation is happening. Exactly. So, you know, check in next week and uh, we'll have a good time. <laughs>